please do take a seat. To how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. Love is the theme we're going to be looking at uh, today. And I'd just like to have three volunteers to come up the front, please. Maybe some of the younger guys. Uh, somebody want to come up the front? I do need somebody who doesn't mind just reading a very short verse uh, from the Bible. Uh, don't rush all at once. <laughs> Queue up as you come up. Come on, one of the labs, boys. Rob, good, good man, good man, Rob. Excellent. Um, somebody a little bit younger than Rob this time. Um, no, Ray, you don't count as being younger. Back row, one of the, come on, one of you guys, let me come. Yeah, well done, Azim. Excellent. One of the girls over here. Olivia? Yes, I knew it. Right. Here we go, Olivia. You have that one. I'll help if you need a bit of help. Azim. And Rob. Right, I've got uh, three objects here now, and I wonder if you can tell me what they have in common. We've got a, a measuring jug. We have got a tape measure. And we've got a, a watch with a strap that's broken. Hence, it's not on my wrist. What do you think these three things have got in common? Sorry? Numbers? Numbers, yes, yeah, a good one. Numbers, they all have numbers on them. They? they all measure something. Well done, they all measure something. Let's, let's start with this one here. Um, what does this measure? What do you think that measures, Olivia? Milk. Could you put, put milk in there? Yes, if you're making a cake or something, measure how much milk you got. So it's liquids, isn't it? Now let's think, if we were to use this to measure... God's love for us. Do you think that would be a good thing to use to measure God's love for us? Could we do that? No? No, why not, do you think? Because his love is too much. His love is too much. Olivia, do you want to read your verse out for us, please? Let me see. Have we got a mic? We haven't got a mic. Is that one there working? Yeah, great. Here we go. I'll hold it for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You prepare a table before me. My cup of overflows. Very good. My cup overflows. So if we were to try and measure God's love in this, it would just overflow, wouldn't it? And a bit like this uh, glass that's going to hopefully appear on the screen with the verse as well. God love. We can't confine or measure God's love in a cup. It overflows. It's just too, too big. What about a tape measure? What do you measure with a tape measure, Arsene? Centimeters and inches. Centimeters and inches. And what sort of things do you measure? You can, what about this? This is the, what, the table? It's a sort of the width, the width, yeah, and the, and the, the height, yeah, the length, the depth, yeah, we, what about using this to measure God's love? What do you think? No? Why not? A little bit more, but, um, still too much, do you think? Do you want to read your verse out for us? Here's a mic as well. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. That's pretty great love, isn't it? So to reach to the skies. There's no way we're going to be measure in God's love with a tape measure. The reach to the skies. So that's no good. Um, Rob, what about this? What is this measure? Uh, time. 
How about we use this to measure how long God's love lasts? What do you think? Hmm. I, don't, I don't think it will quite do that. No? No? Do you want to read your verse? What does your verse say? My verse is from Psalm 100, and it says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. 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 So God's love endures forever. It lasts forever. So how are we going to measure God's love with a, a watch that's already broken? That's not going to work, is it? Exactly. Now, we can't measure God's love. Thanks very much, guys, by the way, if you want us to take a seat. Excellent. Well done. We can't measure God's love, but we can know it. The Bible tells us that we can know something of God's love. We can experience God's love. Um, this next verse you should be familiar with. It's our verse for the, uh, the year. Shall we uh, say this verse together? Let's say this together. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. God has showed us his love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so we can be forgiven, so we can be made right with him, so we can live with him for eternity. That is a wonderful love. And it's great we can come together today as God's holy people to grasp more of his love for us and grow in that love for him. So let's uh, pray again, and then there'll be a song, which I'm sure you can guess what that song is going to be already. Um, But let's, uh, let's thank God for his love. Father God, we praise you that your love overflows. It is higher than the heavens. It lasts forever. It's too big for us to measure, but we pray that as we meet with you today, you will help us to know your love, to grow in your love, and to be filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'm going to ask Andy to come up and uh, just um, find out a little bit about him. You've got your mic, haven't you? I yeah, am. well done. Yeah. So, um, Andy, you're the pastor at um, Woodstock Road. You've been there for how many years now? Uh, 19 years been working there. So, years, uh, wow. 2003 Sorry. I started, and yeah, maths is right, isn't it? It's 2022, isn't it? So yeah, 19 yeah, years good. Good. as pastor at Woody uh, Road. And it's been good to have a relationship with mm. the church um, yeah. over many years, um, so it's been great to yeah, be supported by you in that ministry. Um, last year you made a bit of a change, you went part-time, can you tell us what happened, yeah, so what went, that change was about? Yeah. So I went part-time uh, as pastor of Woody Road uh, last May. Uh, so I spent the last year working with a group called Living Out to deal with issues to do with faith and sexuality. So it's involved a little bit of traveling around the country, uh, speaking on those sort of issues. Uh, so yes, I've been doing that uh, for uh, a year or so. And that actually enabled us to bring in an assistant pastor to, uh, to Woody Road. So Ben uh, is started September. So yeah, about nine months of having Ben and Francis and the family with us. Yeah, brilliant. And um, there's another change this day. The summer's going to happen. What's uh, happening next in your... <laughs> yeah, so I, so I actually finish as pastor at Woody Road uh, this summer, um, which, uh, yeah, feels feels quite a wrench. Uh, so I'm going to start uh, working part-time as the uh, the director of training for the South Central Gospel Partnership, which is a 
bit of a mouthful. Um, but uh, some of you will know the, the ministry training course that uh, happens uh, in Oxford uh, one day a week, and kind of one or two from uh, the church here have been on that. So uh, from September, I'll start heading that uh, up um, and doing that alongside uh, living out. I'll probably stay at Woody Road at least in the short term for a year or so as an elder, but uh, but yeah, we'll stand down as pastor in about four weeks' time, actually. Yeah, so. brilliant. Big change. Um, yeah. Just, just briefly want to tell us what the ministry training mm. course is about, in case there are those here yeah, um, definitely. who want to come along. Um, <laughs> so yeah, give so, it a plug. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so the ministry training course um, pulls together a variety of people, so uh, some younger folk who are sort of working uh, in churches, through to those who get a day of the week free, through to those who are sometimes early retired and retired, basically people who want to serve within their churches. And we do things like there's a Bible overview, uh, we dig deeply into six books of the Bible, there's a bit of reflection on practical ministry, a little bit of church history, uh, a little bit of doctrine, uh, but actually a lovely range of people, different ages, different churches, coming together, largely to be equipped to help within Things like youth groups, home groups, old people's groups uh, in different churches around the area. Brilliant. Let's pray for you and then I'll hand over to you. Father, we do thank you for, for Andy. Thank you for his faithful service at um, Woodstock Road for, for so many years. Uh, thank you for blessing that church and growing it and enabling it to, to plant as well. Mm. Um, we pray for your hand on his uh, ministry going forward with this new change. Uh, we do pray for the ministry training course that uh, many more would um, make good use of it and be able to grow in their knowledge of you and be equipped to serve you in their different churches and different situations through that ministry. So uh, help Andy as he um, starts to make that transition and uh, be ready to, to start in September. Uh, and we do pray for Woodstock Road as well as they mm. seek to uh, find a replacement for him. Um, Lord, bless, uh, bless them. And keep them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is, uh, it is great to be with you, actually. Uh, whilst I've been at Woody Road, really appreciated our fellowship with uh, Long Crendon. It's lovely to see Neil looking back so refreshed after months in a camper van. But, uh, but yeah, really, uh, really good to, uh, good to be with you. And thank you for giving me a topic of, uh, of love to speak on. Um, I have to be honest, I spend most of my life now traveling the country talking about sexuality, so it's lovely to do a morning that isn't on that. So, uh, so yeah, thank you. Um, very conscious that we're thinking about love off the backdrop of a fairly remarkable couple of years. So not you, that there are elements of it that I just think, good grief, was that all a bad dream? Do you remember the sort of experiences we had of the sort of silent queues outside supermarkets? Can you remember that sort of supermarket and everybody at a social distance queuing outside? I've never seen Oxford so deserted during my one hour of allowed exercise. I remember walking into Oxford city centre, streets normally full of students and people from around the world, just a kind of ghost town. Or for me, it was sort of preaching into my laptop in a deserted building, which I really don't want ever to have to do again. Or I remember, did did anybody else do this? When you had your one hour of allowed exercise and you were sort of walking along a, a pavement and there was somebody coming the other way, did anybody else sort of cross over the road? 
you know, just to avoid coming into close contact with, you know, anybody. They're quite hard lessons to unlearn, aren't they? Because actually, if you think about it, that some other human being is coming my way and I run as far away from them as possible, I feel like that really is the opposite of the way life should work, isn't it? You know, actually, if we're living lives of love, our instinct is actually to go towards other people. And actually, for two years, we've had to cross over the other side of the road and literally, if you like, walk by on the other side. Quite hard lessons to unlearn, aren't they? Actually, two years where, in a sense, our instinct has been to do the opposite of what we would do normally. Go away from people instead of go towards them. And so I guess the, the question that I've been asked to think about today is, how does the church emerge from that? You know, what sort of church do you want to be as you emerge from a weird couple of years? Jesus, shortly before he leaves this earth, talks to his disciples and says these famous words, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In other words, the call for the church as it emerges from the last couple of years is to be a church marked by love such that people come in and say, you've got something here, haven't you? got something unique here. This is the kind of community that is different from any other sort of community in the world. This is a community of love. That's the goal. And actually, days like today have got great potential for that. We at Woody Road had a, a similar weekend, actually, it was in the end of February. And I remember coming away thinking that felt like the first time we were sort of back to normal. Back to the church as it should be. And my hope is a day like this could be quite significant for you guys as well. As you begin to think, okay, let's think what sort of church do we want to be as we emerge? How do we actually enjoy spending time together? My prayer is that actually God's spirit will do good stuff today. But it might be that as you think about this call to love... There's a sense of, yeah, I want to, but gosh, I feel tired. I think that has been my reflection. I've just noticed it within myself, actually, over the last few months is, gosh, I'm tired. I feel drained. I feel like I want to go towards other people, but where do I find the energy for that? You know, as I see people in pain and difficulty, there's such a temptation, actually, to go in the opposite direction. Where do we find the energy... Where do we find the power? Where do we find the strength to be this church that Jesus calls us to be? To be this church that is loving. And in the two sessions I've got, I've been asked to speak on how God loves us and how we love each other. And I reckon that is actually the way to proceed. That's the way to work out how we can find the energy, the power to love. Obviously, it was no surprise. It is a biblical way to proceed. Remember again what Jesus says to his disciples. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Do you notice the two things in there? I've loved you. I have loved you. And so, love one another. 
Or elsewhere in that sort of same kind of area in John's Gospel, I've washed your feet. Now go and wash other people's feet. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on God's love for us in the first session. With my aim is that's going to empower us to think about loving one another in the second session. We're going to base ourselves in 1 John. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible on a device or something like that, that might uh, help you uh, as we go through. Now, I have to be honest, in 1 John and in John's Gospel as well, God's love for us or Jesus' love for us and our love for each other, they're kind of intertwined. So it would have made my life slightly easier if John had written, here's a section about Jesus' love for us, and then here's a section about our love for each other. That would have made my life much easier, but John decided not to do that. Rather, it's all sort of intertwined. So what John brought together, I'm going to disconnect a little bit, if you'll forgive me. So we're not going to work through one particular passage in both sessions. Rather, we're going to spend most of our time in 1 John chapter 4, And I'm going to tear it apart a little bit so that in the first bit we look at Jesus' love for us and in the second we think about our love for each other. And my prayer is actually the prayer that we saw in Ephesians chapter 3 and that we sang, is that as we do this, the Spirit will be at work, opening our eyes, that not only will we know it at an intellectual level, but we'd sense the amazing love of God for us. So firstly... Let's consider the loving God who takes the initiative. The loving God who takes the initiative. If you've got a Bible, the main verse we're going to look at in this session is 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's a definition of love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And do you notice just from that verse, who it is that takes the initiative? Who is it that takes the initiative when it comes to love? It's not us. It's not you. When it comes to love, it is God who takes the initiative. Or John will say in verse 19, we love, why? Because he first loved us. The key thing for us to grasp is that God loved us before we loved him. God loved us when we didn't love him. If you think about it, that's just sheer grace, isn't it? God sees people who are ignoring him. God sees people who aren't loving him. God sees people who aren't thanking him for the world that he's made. And he loves unearned, undeserved, pure gift. God loves before we love him. Now you probably know that. Probably if there was a sort of doctrinal statement you'd sign on the bottom of that. But it is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Such that actually we can struggle to hold on to it. Let's be honest, in most aspects of life, you get what you deserve. You know, when I start my new job, I suspect they want some work from me, and they will probably only pay me if I do some work. That's how most jobs work. Let's 
experienced even in human relations, actually, with friends. We find their love as we're friendly towards them. That's how it works. And so it can be quite hard to get our heads around that when it comes to God, it is completely different. Never earned. Never deserved. Pure gift. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Because I suspect one of the reasons we often end up feeling quite exhausted, even as Christians, is that what's going on in our head is the opposite of this. If I love God, then he's going to love me. If I really battle hard to live as a Christian, he's going to love me. If I put that sin to death, he's going to love me. If you think about it, earning things is exhausting, isn't it? You know, actually, when you're trying to do a job, most jobs are pretty tiring. So I'm desperately trying to get to that stage where I'm a good enough Christian that God will love me. You're going to end up fairly drained. Yeah, maybe at times we're conscious of our sin and we think, oh, to get back into a relationship with God, I've got to climb out of this pit, deal with this sin, and then I'll be all right. And then God will love me. Of course, that can be a spiral of despair. I think many of us as Christians live there, actually. Live with a sense of, I've got to reach this sort of standard and then I'll be fine with God. Even if that's not what we would say doctrinally, the fact that that's how life works means that's so often the way we think. And of course, if you're desperately struggling to get to that point, it's quite hard to have the resources to love others. And you know what we need at that point? It's called the gospel. The gospel that says, God loved me before I loved him. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And the first command, if you like, of the gospel is to receive that. And to believe it to be the case. Because you see, the reason God can do this, the reason God can love us before we love him, is because at his heart, God is a fountain of love. Twice in this section, John makes that famous statement, God is love. See it there in verse 8, and it's there in verse 16. So an eternal statement about God. I tell you, this is really good news. That at the heart of the universe is a God who is love. A God who is love even before the world began. Even when there was no humans to love. Because God, Father, Son, and Spirit... God is eternally a father loving a son, a son loving a father, bound together by a spirit of love. God is, if you like, an overflowing fountain of love. And he overflows, a bit like that sort of image of this glass. God's love overflows, it overflows into making a world. And it overflows even towards us. You see... God is so different from us. You see, we need to see something beautiful and then we'll love it. I don't know, a kind of beautiful sunset. Oh, I just love that. Or beautiful person or a friend. And actually, we see something in them we admire and our love goes towards them. Whereas for God, God's love just overflows such that he can even love those who don't love him. It's overflowing love where he takes the initiative. And that's why we don't need to deserve to be loved. We don't have to have done anything to be loved. It is simply the overflowing love of God that runs out towards us. 
And it's beautiful. I remember seeing pictures of uh, that wonderful day in 1966. It was before I was born, I hasten to add. But in London, in Trafalgar Square, England had just run the, the, uh, the World Cup. And actually, if you see pictures of Trafalgar Square from that day, you know the fountains that are in Trafalgar Square? And everybody is celebrating by diving into the fountains. It was a great day to get wet. Or sometimes you see, don't you, there's certain city centres, aren't there, where you've got the fountain sort of springs in the floor and the kids run around and suddenly this burst of water will come in and they're thoroughly soaked. To be a Christian is to be a recipient of this fountain of love that flows towards us. This God who is an overflowing fountain because he is eternally loved within himself overflows towards us even when we don't love him. And that's the gospel. That's the picture of God's love for us. Now, one of the aims today is for me to stop talking. So just for two or three minutes, do you want to turn to, uh, to somebody near you? And I think we've got a question. I'm trying to remember quite how I put it. Why might we struggle to receive God's love? And maybe I could add, how does this help? So that image that I put, that image of perhaps there are times when we think we need to earn God's love, to what extent do you think that is true of us? And how does this help? Does that make sense? Happy to vaguely talk to each other? Go for it. So just three or four minutes and then we'll move on. Okay, let me, uh, let me pull you back together. That's partly to give you uh, conversations over coffee, so you might want to, uh, to reflect with others. You know, what, why might you struggle to receive God's love? And I say... Partly, it seems to me that 1 John 4 verse 10 is an antidote to that. Actually, we don't ever earn it. We don't take the initiative. It's always God who does it. The love of God who takes the initiative. Then secondly, we're going to see the loving God revealed at the cross. The loving God who is revealed at the cross. And again, let's go back to that verse. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, here's the issue. How do I know God loves us? How do I know, perhaps, that God loves me? There are certain reasons, aren't there, we can sometimes struggle. We've talked a little bit about, perhaps, an awareness of our own shortcomings. For others I know, and I remember just as a pastor having had this conversation several times, it's circumstance in life. You know, where there's just been a really rough time. A bereavement, an illness, a family pain, or redundancy. And actually you pray and you pray and nothing seems to come back. And there's the question, does God really love me? Sometimes, to be honest, it's just the sheer busyness of life means we struggle to get our heads around it. And here John is giving us the great evidence of God's love for us. Actually, it starts the verse before. This is how God showed his love among us, verse 9. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I feel like it's Christmas. Jesus coming into the world, coming into the, the poverty of Bethlehem. The plan agreed, father and son, I'm going to go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then if you like it, it's a double gift. 
Not only does Jesus come into the earth, but then there's the sort of double humbling, as it were. Having come to earth, he goes to the agony of the cross. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, 1 John 4, the emphasis is on what God the Father does in sending the Son. Earlier on in John's letter, in 1 John 3, you get it expressed from the Son's perspective. So this is how we know what love is in 1 John 3, verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And you see Jesus, you see it in the Gospels, don't you? How all the way through Jesus' life and ministry, he knows where he's heading. Sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. Keeps Judas in his group of disciples, even though he knows what he's going to do. He doesn't speak in his defense at his trial. Tells his disciples to stop fighting the soldiers. He goes to the cross. Why? Well, amongst other things, because he loves us. He really does love us. See his face heading towards Jerusalem and see at the very same time his love for you. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? That's the reality. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me? And notice again in this verse that God's love... And our sin coexist. So that actually, to be honest, that's my only hope, actually. My only hope is that at the very same time as I'm aware of my sin, that God loves me. Again, Paul puts it like this. God demonstrates his love for us in this. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us. Even in the midst of our sin. Forgive me, you'll notice this is pretty much a one point talk. God loves us when we didn't love him. God loves us even in our sin. Because at the cross he deals with it. At the cross he deals with our sin as Jesus becomes the sacrifice. Sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, as you work your way through the Bible, I haven't got time to go there, but Hosea chapter 11 would be a remarkable example of this, where, where God sees his people so aware of their sin, so aware of their failure, so aware that their sin merits punishment and condemnation because of their hideous ingratitude. And God says, I should destroy you, and yet my love is aroused within me. And you can almost see this. How on earth does God's justice that he must punish sin and his great love for his people, how does that go together? And there at the cross, God takes sin really seriously. God is not somebody who's going to cover up evil and think it doesn't matter. And yet at the same time, be astonishingly loving as he both deals with sin and as he demonstrates his love as Jesus becomes the sacrifice the sacrifice who takes God's anger against sin upon himself and heaven's peace and perfect justice kisses a guilty world in love and we look to the cross 
And we think the very fact that God didn't, wasn't content to just punish me in my sin, the very fact that he sent his son, the very fact that Jesus was willing to come, can you really look at the cross and think, does God love me? The very fact that he made that choice shows that he loves us. Well, you've given me, there's something about the cross that makes me reach for old hymns, but, but I've always been struck by the, the sort of pastoral wisdom. It's Horatio Spafford's old hymn, When Peace Like a River. You, you may well know the context of it. Ridden when his children have been drowned at sea. And in the midst of the desperately awful circumstance, he writes these words, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Do, do you see the logic of that? Trials coming. Can God love me in the midst of this redundancy, in the midst of this bereavement, in the midst of this illness? Can God love me? Well, let this reassure my heart. Christ looked at me in a desperate situation and has shed his blood. Oh, he loves me. And the love of God is revealed at the cross, the heart of God, the place where his glory is seen most perfectly, in the Father giving the Son, in the Son willing to come. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But then there's a third way, final way, in this section. A final way in which the love of God is revealed. And it's the loving God revealed in our hearts. The loving God revealed in our hearts. One of the things you get throughout 1 John is a sense of the sheer closeness of God to us. And so you get these little phrases just in the, the passage 1 John uh, 4. You get the fact that we are born of God. Or verse 12, God lives in us. Or you get verse 13, we live in him and he lives in us. Or you get verse 16, lives in God and God in them. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. But actually something remarkable happens as somebody believes in Jesus... So God comes to live within them by his Holy Spirit. It's that precious union that we have with Jesus. It's actually what Jesus himself would happen. Again, the night before he dies, he's speaking to his disciples and they're terrified. You know, Jesus, you're going away. What's going to happen? And he says, don't worry. I will come to you. I will be in you and you will be in me. Or consider what Jesus prays. There's a remarkable bit just before the cross, John chapter 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples. Then he prays for all those who will believe in me through their message, which actually is us. Jesus, on the night before he dies, prays for future generations of Christians. And he prays for them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He, he reveals himself to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself 
may be in them. Do you, do you see the closeness there? The, the closeness of what's going on? Jesus himself coming to live within us. It is why, again, 1 John will talk about us having fellowship with God. I and you, and you and me, absolutely locked together. Now, again, a bit like the, the fact that God loves us before we love him. One of the challenges here is simply for us to believe that. Over the years in Oxford, I spent a little bit of time with with students and are often students really keen to grow as Christians and we sort of meet together and I'd ask them you know what can I pray for you and and they'd say something like this well can you pray that I get closer to Jesus that's great prayer and I know I know exactly what they meant by that but to be honest when somebody said to me, pray that I get closer to Jesus I would just become really smug and irritating or even more smug and irritating and smile and say something like this well tell you what I'll pray that you'll know that you're as close to Jesus as you can possibly be because he's in you that's the case that's what he says that I myself might be in them God lives in you I'm going to pray that you will have the ability to grasp that he's in you and you're in him and that you're locked together and that that truth will sink into your heart he's in you and you're in him it's a lovely sort of poem hymn that expresses this so near so very near to God I could not nearer be For in the person of his son, I am as near as he. I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. And so I'm so close to God. It's one of those things you wouldn't believe unless it's actually written in Scripture, but it's written all over the place in Scripture. He's in us. We're joined to him. And that begins to make sense of a whole heap of things. You see, if I am joined to Jesus, Jesus in me and I'm joined to him, then actually as God sees me, well, he sees us joined to Jesus. Which begins to make sense of perhaps the most famous verse in 1 John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we might be called children of God. And that is what we are. Because, of course, joined to Jesus, we're joined to the Son of God. We're made children of God. And that is who we are. That's why, again, in the New Testament, we're able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who unites us to Jesus, to call, to pray, Abba, Father. You do know, actually, when we pray, Abba, Father, we're basically using the same words as Jesus. Who himself would have prayed in Aramaic, Abba, Father. Joined to Jesus, made children of God, praying in the same way as the Son prayed to the Father. And receiving the same love that Jesus received. Remember that prayer in John 17? That the love you have for me might be in them. And I myself might be in them. The love you have for me might be in them. Can I just ask you a question? How much do you think God the Father loves God the Son? Tiny little bit? Vaguely positive towards him? 
Or do you think God the Father loves the Son with a vast eternity of loving satisfaction? And Jesus prays that, Father, the love you have for me might be in them. Boy, he loves us. Because we're joined to Jesus. And the love he has for Jesus is now the love that he has for us. Can I say, it is an astonishing thing to be a Christian. (laughs) To be joined to Jesus and to be the recipient of that vast love. Let me quote the next verse of that hymn. So dear, so very dear to God, more dear I could not be. The love with which he loves the Son, such is his love for me. Actually, you can sing it to Amazing Grace if you want to sing it. So dear, so very dear to God. More dear I could not be the love with which he loves the Son, such is his love for me. I don't know, I wouldn't write that except it's what Jesus says. And so that's why we can have confidence. And the call for us is simply to believe it. Yeah, we're going to get practical in the next session. But to be honest, all I want you to do, at least for the next 55 minutes, is believe this is truth. How such is the love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. And that is what we are. You must hear John sort of telling you, that is who you are. Deeply beloved children of God. And so in a sense, the call right now is simply to believe that's true and to receive it. I think consciously so often we need to receive it because actually we naturally default back to an anti-gospel. We naturally default back to a conditional God. We naturally default back to a God will love me if I have a quiet time every day this week. And the real gospel involves me receiving the lavish generosity of God. Who as I trust in Jesus unites me with his son. And pours his love into my heart. In Romans chapter 5, as we've seen, Paul says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Whilst we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I'll also say in Romans chapter 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us and so I know God's love as I look at the cross and I know God's love as he works in my heart and unites me with Jesus and that love is there and I'm simply called to receive the fountain the overflowing fountain of a God who is love now again I'm going to give you uh, six seven minutes just to think together what helps you to receive God's love? Yeah, what is it? Maybe you've found ways of standing, as it were, under that fountain. Or maybe you just want to benefit from the wisdom of others. What helps you to receive God's love for you? So six, seven minutes, and then I'll pray. So again, feel free to uh, turn to people near you. What, I think that is the next question. Isn't it? What helps you to receive God's love? Go for it. Can I, uh, can I pull us back together? Again, feel free to, uh, to carry on this conversation of coffee. Let me, uh, let me pray. <laughs> Father, we bow before you. 
as your deeply beloved children. And Father, we, we praise you that that is sheer gift, sheer grace. Lord, thank you that you loved us when we didn't love you. Lord God, we praise you for the way in which that love, that overflowing love reached that hill in Jerusalem. Thank you, Father, for giving your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to come and lay down your life for us. And yet, Lord, wonderful as that is, we thank you that we know your love, not simply as we look back to the past, but but actually we can know your love deep in our very hearts. Because by your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, you've united us with yourself. Thank you for the yes to that prayer, that that the love that the Father has for you might be in us. And Lord, we simply, as it were, want to come empty-handed and receive from you and stand under the overflowing fountain of your love. Please, Lord, deliver us from ever trying to earn it. Deliver us from ever thinking we deserve it. Help us simply to receive your love as the most astonishing, breathtaking gift that this universe has to offer. As we receive from you, as we pray to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.